0: Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga. And this is episode number 623. That's 623 of the Agostino Zinga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga. I hope you're doing well wherever you may find this blooming, bleeding, bloody pod. I hope you're doing good. I hope you're doing good. How about my? Okay, all things considered, I had this big elaborate plan in mind where I was off to go to a little powwow thing in central London for this great app that's about to come out that I'm really excited about. And I was had this whole plan where I was going to go there on the train and then I was going to wear my bike gear and I was going to cycle back and get my miles in because I did a bit of cardio yesterday. I wanted to do a bit of cardio today. And that's my overall plan. But life, as per usual, throws up these things in the air and just disturbs your whole flipping ordeal of things that you want to do. So I go down to take my bike out to head to the station where my apartment is next to the station is quite close to it so I didn't really realize that once I got into the train that my back tire on my bloody bike was punctured it's flat so it must have you know died overnight because I used my bike yesterday and I'm having this constant problem now where I'm deciding you know what I've just got to start running more because unfortunately I'm probably way too big to be riding my bike now especially considering I've got a fixie with really thin tires when I went to speak to the guy who works at the bicycle place where I got my bike done He basically told me, I've already got, you know, puncture-proof tyres. I've got the tyres where, essentially, you know, it takes a lot for them to get punctured. But the problem with the inner tube and why it gets punctured all the time, because I've had various punctures over the last, what, you know, six months it feels like, is because I'm putting all my weight on the back, obviously, because with it being a fixie, I'm obviously always sitting down, obviously always pedalling, no coasting, no standing up. So I'm constantly having my big ass on my flipping saddle, And what he basically said to me was that on bikes like the one I've got with a kind of small racing kind of style, or you know, fixy, thin wheels, the inner tube, especially if it's not pumped correctly, can sometimes get pinched on the side of the inner tube, if that makes any sense. So when you're riding... It, the, 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 the pinch will start rubbing against the rim and eventually that leads to a tear and it'll pop. So it's rarely, it's rarely like an outside pin or a glass or some sort of stone that's popping the tire. It's usually your weight and then the inner tube kind of gets pinched on the tire. You ride it and then it scrapes and then it opens up. And obviously with me being way bigger than I am prior to the pandemic, you know, I started doing loads of weights. That obviously has gone well. I was eating a bunch, of course, (laughs) that obviously has added to it, but I haven't been running as much as I was before. And I need to get my weight down in order to make the bike thing work. Because at the moment, I can't be going to go get my bike punctured, you know, repaired every flipping four weeks or something. That's annoying. So I'm in a position now where I just have to run. So after this pod or when I have my lunch break for work, I'll probably nip out and go run a little three mile run, which is really, really bumming me out because running is horrendous honestly like I could work out in the gym every single day legitimately I could go and run even on the treadmill I could maybe do a bit of running but or even a rowing machine do a bit of cardio but I can legitimately work out in the gym five days six days seven days a week easy one hour per day done but to run three times a week out in the streets with it being this cold Right? And knowing that you might step in a puddle, especially me, I love stepping in puddles and getting my socks wet. I love tripping on curbs where I'm not concentrating on running and I'm thinking about a million things at one time. And in general, it just, it just hurts. Every part of your body. Way more than anything that you are do in a gym. So it takes a lot. for you. For, so if you have friends who run often... They've usually got something, you know, especially for me, I had my stuff going on in my head. I used to seek running out as a way to kind of cleanse that and get me nice and mellow. Now I've got the pod, obviously, that helps. But if you've got friends that run a lot, usually they are people that I would assume have, you know, a lot of internal monologue going on to make that thing work. Or they're just savages in terms of being able to wake up at like 6 a.m. every morning and go for a run. That requires, um, you know, self-discipline and grit of another level, to do that every single day without no delay. Like, for me, when I was at my peak, I would sometimes, to avoid any excuse, I'd have my running stuff packed up and, like, at the end of my, at the end of my bed, Obviously, because I'm tall, sometimes I can knock it off, but sometimes I'll leave it on the side, but I usually leave it at the end of my bed, so that when I'm rustling around, or, or about to, w- or when I'm wake, when I'm, when I'm awake and I'm awake on my phone, I legitimately see my running shoes and my shorts there, or that one shoe that hasn't fallen off forever. That's the kind of thing you have to kind of do to yourself, and then just put it on, and hope it goes well. The first mile's always been horrendous, you feel like stopping, and then you suddenly get into a flow, and then you can't, you know, you, you can't get to the finish, you, you know, you want to go further and further and further, as you get into a flow of it, but... I guess i realised that I probably have to start running again to get his weight down to make the cycling easier and so I don't keep, you know, busting my tyre, which is mad. And imagine, i got so much ass, so much ass that I'm busting my tyre every time I'm cycling. I'm annoyed, man, because I honestly did want to ride back home today from central London. That would have been a nice four to five mile, maybe even more, maybe six. I'm not too sure maybe four to five maybe four to five isn't it? it's a four to five miler that have been pretty nice got that already logged into my cardio setup then i could go back to the gym again tomorrow but i'll have to go run outside today and get that running in get that running in so to move on quickly because i've got many topics to talk about and i've got to jet off quickly i'm going to quickly mention this this is a little clip uh courtesy of math hoffer on his podcast called i don't know what it's called actually it's podcast but it's math Hoffa, the legendary battle rapper he's got his own podcast where he has guys sit in a barbershop and they have real heart-to-heart manly conversations about everything involving culture and i really really enjoy it especially considering math Hoffa being from the streets he can get a little bit um, more out of his guests than maybe the average um, you know uh, interviewer can, especially him being a battle rapper and obviously being part of the community in terms of hip hop being and all that stuff. people maybe relate to him a little bit more, but regardless, he sat down with the baby and had a really good conversation with him about his career relevancy, all this stuff going up and down, um, you know drama stuff but I really like this section that they talk about where ba- the baby basically is expounding on the fact that he hasn't necessarily processed the death of his brother who unfortunately died because of suicide and just basically talking about the struggles of it and he raised a really good point because he mentioned something like he records a bunch of music that's really personal to him that he never ever releases it's just kind of self-therapy it's never it's never done for the consumption of the crowd or for regular punters or regular fans like myself it's only done for him and maybe his close friends and family and that's it and that stuff never comes out which is pretty insane to think he's got a whole stash of these records in his in his vault that he doesn't release which i think in my opinion especially being the baby fan i would say he's probably struggling a little bit now obviously with the comments that he made and the drama he's gone through but i think a lot of it comes from the fact that people look at him and he just looks like a bully he looks like a big bad bully superman type character who's got no emotions so i think if anything what would actually help his career is if he actually opened up a little bit and decided to be a little bit more vulnerable and pull his guard down i'm not the tough guy or i can be the tough guy when, when need be but i also have these emotions like everybody else i go through you know know self-doubt I feel a little bit whatever whatever he can make up you know in terms of putting it on wax and stuff I think that would be actually quite beneficial to his career but anyway regardless he made a really good point here Or he was talking about something that I thought was really interesting that I wanted to talk about when it comes to birthdays and celebrating them and something that I kind of was thinking about now because I was having to describe the pod to people who don't know me And I had to describe it honestly because I don't like to lie, especially people I just met. It just doesn't make any sense lying about stuff. So I kind of laid it on thick in terms of why I started this, which was essentially a self-therapy thing. And the fact that I don't really have many real-life friends and I'm trying to keep myself to myself for the most part. I think I could get friends if I wanted to have them, don't get me wrong. But I don't exactly go out of my way to hang out with people. I just stay by myself for the most part. And I like it like that. It is what it is. I'm not going to cry and moan about it. That's my life and I've kind of made my bed and I'm happy to lay in it. But when it comes to birthdays... I've always struggled with that also because I don't ever enjoy or like them. And that may come from some past trauma. It may be a bit of a cope. I'm not really too sure, but the baby speaks about it a little bit. And then I want to kind of expound on it myself and the things that I think about when it comes to birthdays and how I kind of process them, especially nowadays with people doing them on social media and making a big fuss about them. But this is the baby speaking, I think, briefly about it. I think it's around here. Let me see. It be like that. It was like that. Really
1: air time. You know what I'm saying? But I kind of understood why I ain't feel nothing. That's just how I've been set up. Like I'm, I'm a nigga who don't even celebrate his birthday, bro. Like I don't even celebrate my birthday. Like I'm that type of nigga. Do you get that? That's not normal. For sure. Like, as okay. a lady, like I'm I, I starting. Get, to, yeah, but it's not. It's not. Just I'm starting to peep that. Like, see, so it right? take it take for you to goddamn to try to do for others what you wish somebody to do for you, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. see that not go the way you not go the way you think it would go, Mm -hmm. then you get it. Then you get to this shit not normal. You get what I'm saying?
0: I'm glad he said that because I thought I was a bit of a freak. Because once you look on social media, you see a lot of people who really, really care about their birthdays. They will make a birthday week, a birthday month. Like, it's crazy how... far and how hard people go for their birthdays and I've always thought after a certain time in your life maybe over the age of 18 you should maybe knock you on the head if you're a bit of a grown-up just allow it it's not that serious no one really cares but for some people it is just a good opportunity to celebrate and get your friends you know all in one room have a bit of a good time and just kind of welcoming in the you know a start of another year for you celebrate the fact that you haven't passed away and you're still here to enjoy the fruits of this wonderful life that we live or whatever the reasons may be but I think for me, my aversion to celebrating my birthday probably stems from my childhood in terms of I, ne- I never really had the means to celebrate it the way I kind of thought in my head I wanted to celebrate in terms of money. And I never was somebody i liked like to ask for things, especially if I kept getting no's. So really early on, if you keep getting no's and if you're getting told you can't do this, can't do that, eventually you just learn to deal with the fact that you can't do it. And you just get numb to the idea of being disappointed or feeling left down or feeling left out. I remember one kind of, you know, monumental part of my life where I kind of had to process. Okay, I'm not gonna be able to do anything that I want to do whilst I'm a kid. I've just wait until I'm an adult. It was when I was uh, in primary school. This is a really dumb example, but it was at like the first first holiday that we had. No, it was the first trip that we had as a, as a. Yeah, it was the first trip we had in, in primary school. Sorry, in primary school I must have been how old? I guess I was probably eleven or something, or maybe under eleven. And it was a trip that you go to Paris. And I think at the time, if I'm not mistaken, it was like a geography trip, something to do with geography. And we were meant to do that. And I couldn't go. So it's like you meant to go to a boarding thing and stay over and sleep. And I remember not being able to go. And I remember being really disappointed and hurt by it. Then we had another trip later on. That was a trip to go to Devon. It was another geography trip. So something to do with ag- agriculture and whatnot. And I couldn't go to that. And then soon after, I developed a bit of numbness and I put a bit of a guard up when it came to holidays and I immediately would just make excuses and just dumb it down or just kind of, you know, take the piss out of it. Who wants to go here? Who wants to go there? That's where lame people go. I'll just make all these flipping coping mechanisms. I had all these coping mechanisms to help me deal with the disappointment or with the reality that I had didn't couldn't go and didn't have the means to go even if I wanted to. That's the main thing I did. And then when it comes to birthdays, I think it's odd because I had, I used to have really good birthdays. Like when I used to go to church quite often, which was between the years of like, what, I must've been from like 18 to 22 or 23. I was going to church religiously, like every single weekend. Um, sometimes I'll be going all week during the summer when there'll be a special, you know, um, cele- special event thing going on there. Pick up everybody that went to KICC back in the day, you will know the vibes and it was fun. Had a good time there. But I remember celebrating my birthday pretty decent there. And what, what would happen is that like my parents would give me like, I don't know, 50 quid or something. And I'd take my friends out and we'd go to Nando's. And usually I'd be the one kind of covering the bill. And I loved that thing because I remember at that time also, that was when people were starting to do birthdays where they would invite you to a restaurant. And I remember a lot of people being kind of a bit annoyed that the person would pick, especially if it's your birthday, you want to go somewhere nice and it will be somewhere quite expensive. So you'd be going to someone's birthday and you'd be like shelling out all this money to go celebrate someone's birthday. And I never really understood how that made sense. So I'd always like to have a bit of money in my pocket so I could go and put some money behind a bar or put some money, you know, pay for everyone's meal at Nando's. Not much, you know what I mean? But it would still be a great way for me to see everyone else's smiles. Even though it's my day, everyone else is kind of happy, having a good time, having a free meal, hanging out and shooting the shit and whatnot. And that would be quite cool. But then the older I got, I just became numb to it. I didn't necessarily care. And I think most of it probably has to do with the fact that I kind of carry this mantra in my head. i got no friends. i got no friends. i got no friends. It's obviously, obviously an insecurity. Even though I say it's not, it definitely is because I know I probably should have some, but I don't ever put myself in a position to get them. Like I don't really keep in contact with people. I don't like meeting up to do things for the most part. Like lately, only in the last year or so, have I made a strategic? No, have I made a purposeful effort to try and meet people if they say they want to meet me? Like I won't let them down. I won't say I'm not. I can't come last minute and flake like I'd always usually do because I just didn't like meeting people. But I have kind of gone through the majority of my life so far just kind of being on my own, which I don't mind. I like. And doing things by myself, like doing things, like even when it comes to jobs, I never like ask somebody for an introduction. I'll just apply the normal way that like everyone else does, whoever's on a job board, I apply that way, do it the do it the clean way without having to ask anybody for help or an introduction or anything along that kind of lines. But I don't necessarily think that's a way to go about life. And as that guy responded to the baby when he said it. Saying to him, that's not normal. I kind of got the feeling today when I was talking about why I started a pod. Or I got no friends. That's why I started a pod so I can talk to strangers online or so that I can build this, like, you know, community of people all around the world that I feel like I've got a kinship with, even though I don't know them personally and I'm never probably gonna meet them that isn't normal. You should have both. You should have the ability to make friends online, which is great. I've always done it. I'm a forum kid. I'm an old school MSN messenger kid. I'm a chat kid, right? I'm from that generation of people. I've always been online all my life. So that kind of makes a lot of sense. But you should have friends in real life too, that you can depend on, friends that can help you out, friends that you can lean on, um, ask for advice, ask for help, bloody blah, blah, blah. But because I don't like to feel like I'm in debt to anybody or I don't even even saying the word in debt is really really bad but regardless I don't like to feel like I owe anybody anything or that I'm you know responsible for this I just like to kind of move to the beat of my own drum I don't want to have any ties or anything to do with that so that's what probably makes it hard to have friends because clearly you have to kind of give up a little bit of that when you have some sort of friendship um that you want to kind of be on some sort of even playing field or whatever it may be but I'm glad to know I'm not the only person that goes through this and doesn't celebrate birthdays because I thought for the longest time I was a psycho for doing so but it's good to know even someone like the baby who's got the means to celebrate his birthday in a big style doesn't necessarily care too tough about it maybe his circumstances are different to mine because he might have a lot of pain attached to it that he hasn't really mentioned maybe someone passed maybe something bad happened in his life who knows or maybe just a consequence of what he's lost the people he's lost over time don't make you put he doesn't put you in, a, in an obvious celebratory mood but I have realised you know after talking to people in real life who don't know me and saying aloud the things I think in my head you I realised how how nutty I must sound to people, how weird I must come off, um, you know, if you don't know anything about me overall. And yeah, I've kind of heard myself speak and I want to make sure that I kind of can fix some things that I want to fix and try and make some amends here and there. Because even a birthday thing, it doesn't need to be a celebration. Just me buying myself a drink and toasting is good enough. Getting a meal somewhere is good. It doesn't need to be like a celebration. It can just be legitimately that. But I get... Not say nauseous, but I get legitimately annoyed like the other day or maybe it was last year. Maybe it was last year. My brothers tried to like, you know, get me to celebrate my birthday and I was legitimately getting angry. Like it was only by text as well. It wasn't even like they were telling me to go out somewhere. I was legitimately getting pissed off. Like, no, I don't want to. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not that guy. I started working up all these excuses. I was like, no, I just don't want to do it. Like, just leave me alone. And I was thinking, hold on, this reaction is not normal. Why are you getting angry that people want to celebrate your birthday? Like, that is weird, but that was the best reaction I had. So, I don't know, man. It's, it's life, is it? It's life. I guess we are the way we are. Maybe I'm a weirdo in that regard. Maybe I'm a weirdo, but I'm glad to have other weirdos out there that are willing to listen to the things that I say, um, <laughs> even if you don't agree. Next on the list, let's talk about Cristiano Ronaldo leaving Manchester United. It's not the most surprising news in the world. I guess if some of you watched the interview with Piers Morgan, you would have probably got the feeling like a lot of people did that it felt like an exit interview, which I never usually have. I don't know who sits down and have exit, especially I've been at companies where they'll send you a, a form to fill out, to give you feedback on the company and what you think could change and blah, blah. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't do all of that. You know why I left. Do you know what I mean, especially if it's you left against your own against your will? You know why I'm not there anymore. I don't need to have no flipping exit interview to explain to you any other details. That that doesn't make any sense. But in general, Cristiano's interview was <clears throat> crazy because it was probably the first time we've ever heard a player of his stature, especially at United kind of coming out and criticising the players. Not really, but more so criticising the board and the people who basically run the club, not the overall owners, but if you disturb people that run the club, you're by proxy insulting the owners and kind of calling into question their ability to run the club. And obviously his beef with Eric Ten Hag wasn't the greatest. And maybe his comments about some of the young players weren't the greatest. But in general, it did seem like an interview that someone would be doing knowing full well they're not going to come back to the club. And this World Cup being in Qatar was absolutely keep knocking the mic, was Perfect for Ronaldo. Perfect timing, just before Christmas, um, ahead of the January transfer window. If we were going to sell him, then it's obviously best now because he's been he's left at mutual consent, and both parties have walked away from the deal but even if he did stay and it was a sale they would have just let him train with the youth team players or just told him to stay away from the club train on your own and then got the deal sorted out and he would have been fine. so it's kind of worked out for everybody in the right way I think so this is an article courtesy of the Man United um, official webpage and it said Ronaldo to leave Cristiano Ronaldo is to leave Man United by a mutual agreement with immediate effect the club thanks him for his immense contributions across two spells in Old Trafford scoring 145 goals in 345 appearances Uh, wishes him well and his family well for the future. Everyone at Man United remains focused on continuing the team's progress under Eriton Hague and working together to deliver success on the pitch, which is an interesting comment to make when you're doing the statement about Ronaldo. But essentially, this is um, something that I feel like benefits all parties. For Ronaldo, I feel like in the interview with Piers Morgan, he did mention that he felt like maybe he went with his emotion and not with his rational mind when when it comes to choosing between Man City, United and other clubs. He probably should have looked a bit closer at the finer details, asked people behind the scenes what was going on at United, and then he would have probably came to a decision that it probably wasn't the best club for him to come to. I was legitimately surprised when he did sign for us. I was the person that was worried if he went to Man City that his impression, that my impression of him being a legend and somebody I looked up to in terms of a sportsman would be forever tainted if he was to don that sky blue jersey. But if you're being rational and you take your emotion out of it and you step away from it, Man City would have been a far better. Um, far better match for Ronaldo at this stage of his career than Man United. He still may not have played every single game that he thinks he should be playing at United, but I think in general for his career and the way that he plays and his lack of running and the fact that he can't do the things he used to be able to do... Man City would have been a far better club for him. He would have been cover for Haaland if they did sign him at the same time. He would have maybe been their main striker playing up front. He would have been able to score loads of tap-ins and he would have easily, easily, I feel like, surpassed his 18 goals he got for us last season if he played for Man City. And maybe even another league like Italy. I've heard rumours about him supposedly going to Napoli. That obviously got shut down. But regardless, Man United was probably the emotional move and didn't probably suit him overall. Us as a club, I think in terms of restoring some sort of good vibes at the club and maybe taking the heat off the glazes, signing Ronaldo made some good sense. But I think everybody that was kind of looking at it and being objective would have probably saw that it, was, it would have caused more issues than bad because Ronaldo demand so much he's such an elite sportsman it was unlikely he was going to come into united and just be happy to sit on a bench and collect checks he's not that kind of guy that's the whole reason why he's still playing at the level he's playing at he could easily be playing in saudi arabia as he mentioned before in the in- interview he had an offer i think from a saudi arabian club or a Qatar club, i'm not too sure so club in the middle east that offered him you know a crazy amount of millions if i'm not mistaken it was like 300 300 was it 345 million or something stupid like that that he was offered by one of those leagues but he doesn't want to do that and i'm Assuming he will be able to make you know a bucket load of cash if he went to the MLS, also, but he doesn't want to do that either. So he clearly still wants to compete at the highest level, if possible, and try and win domestic trophies, the league, or even compete in Champions League. So if you bring, if you sign that kind of player for United, he's not going to come in and be able and be happy to pick up checks and sit on the bench. He's going to demand more from his fellow teammates, the club, the boardroom, and the owners. And these ownership that we have at the moment the Glazers clearly don't like to be questioned or they don't like to have demands placed at them they like to move at whatever pace they're moving at they like to do business a certain way they like to run a club a certain way and the way that they like to run the club essentially isn't necessarily um, grounded in trying to become the best club in the world they just care about becoming maybe commercially viable and becoming more of a success in terms of business but in terms of us being the best club on the pitch in terms of winning trophies and challenging for big honors they don't really care about that and Ronaldo does so that was always going to be a mismatch for me but I feel like overall it's been a necessary evil if you want to describe it that way I feel like he kicked everybody into gear he raised the standards of the club he demanded more out of everybody and in the end it ended in a bit of a shit show but in general he still got what he wanted because he went to leave he didn't want to stay at a club where clearly the manager didn't rate him or didn't think he'd be a starter for the club he clearly didn't want to be at a club also like United that's kind of languishing outside of the top four and were most likely not finishing the top four by the end of the season and he obviously went to compete for the highest honours and have that prestige you know, still attached to his name before he ends up retiring in a couple of years, that like he said, you know, maybe in his 40s. So I'm not really too bothered about it in that regard, but in terms of him being our number one striker to play and also not having any backup at the moment, Martial being a little bit of an injury prone, Rashford not being the best person to play up front. And I would also don't believe the club are going to you know, um, sign off on us signing a player in January because I think the Glazers were quite adamant that we wouldn't be signing anybody um, in January. So the fact that that would happen, I'm not really too sure. So I'm a bit worried about that when it comes to the club. And in general, personally for me, I would have found out a way to kind of make it work. I know it's a bit crazy to say that, but I think as cover and I think as leadership in the overall team and to uphold the standards until the end of the year, I would have done that. But if you've got Eric ten Hag in place now and you are believing in him and you think he's going to be the one to return us to our past glories, you have to... Empower him to feel like he's in charge, and you can't have a player, regardless of what their stature is, basically calling into question his authority, even if what Ronaldo says has warrant. Because I do believe a lot of what Ronaldo said. It's hard to be um, the judge and jury at this because it's a little bit he said, she said. You don't really know who's telling the truth, but don't really see the need for him to lie. We've seen how self centered he is and how unable he is to basically reflect on his own declining powers. But I also don't think he lies. He may be oblivious to the fact that he's not the player he once was, but is he going to categorically lie and make up something? I don't think so. So I think the emotions that he felt about Ten Hag bringing him on late for games, putting him on bench, they were valid, of course. I'm not going to dismiss them. And I also think that behind the scenes, some things were said, some some assurances were made, and he didn't feel like they were followed through when it comes to the game. So I can understand why he felt disrespected, why he felt slighted, and he had to make a stand for it. And unlike Van der Beek, which is the complete opposite, to think about the contrast in time, in terms of players and how they go about it if you're a Christian out of his stature when you're a player of that ilk you won't accept being on a bench you won't take it kindly you're going to kick up a fuss or be a bit moody but if you're a player like Van der Beek I feel like the club can sometimes take advantage of your humbleness and your kind of manners and basically treat you like crap and not really have, have let you have the ability to prove yourself in the team with some consecutive games so it's a bit of a toss-up in terms of how you deal with it the best thing to come out of this has definitely been this news, courtesy the Man United official webpage again, which I'm so ecstatic about. I'm over the moon about this. Is legitimately the best news I could have ever heard, ever, ever heard this year. This is a great way to round up the year. Manchester United announces process to explore strategic alternatives to enhance the club's growth. A.K.A. the Glazers want to sell. I'm over the moon. These tyrannical, useless, inept owners, one of the worst owners in football history that have kind of dragged my glorious club into the doldrums, right? Dragged us into the doldrums, lowered the bar so it's in hell and turned the club into a toxic mess, mess that it is. They are finally leaving and they're finally exploring options to sell. Hallelujah. Because for me, I feel like all the subordination, even when you think about Ronaldo and other players, stuff are of going off the field, I feel like it's a consequence of the culture that the Glazers have built in that club. The fact that no one gets called out, the fact that there is no real due process. No, the, the, the fact that there are, there are no structures in place that will ensure players have... Um, they know what, this, what the rules are, they know where they stand, if they go against this, they go against that, then you get the boot. The fact that it's all player-based and situational-based and all that kind of stuff is really annoying. The fact that managers are hired without no real rhyme or reason, you go one-way philosophy, then you can change another way with a philosophy, it's all really annoying and I hate it. And I feel like the Glazers have essentially built that culture over the last two years. And essentially what they proved as owners is that if they don't have a maverick a genius manager in charge, we can't be successful. Sir X Ferguson, the great Sir X Ferguson, stepped away from the club and we haven't been the same ever since. That's clear to see that the processes and the structures of the club weren't in place to allow people to come in, even managers who maybe couldn't lay Sir X Ferguson's boost and have some modicum of success. They couldn't do it because the club wasn't set up to do so. So the fact that these C-U-N-T-S's are leaving, I'm over the moon, over the moon. The article says as follows, Manchester United PLC, one of the most successful historic clubs in the world, announces today that the company's board of directors, the board, is commencing a process to explore strategic alternatives for the club. The process is designed to enhance the club's future growth with the ultimate goal of positioning the club to capitalise on opportunities both on the pitch and commercially. As part of this process, the board will consider strategic alternatives, including new investment into the club, a sale or other transactions involving the company, which will include assessment of several initiatives to strengthen the club, including stadium infrastructure redevelopment, expansion of the club's commercial opportunities on a global scale, each in the context of enhancing the long-term success of the club's men's, women's and academy teams and bringing benefits for fans and other stakeholders. Executive co-chairmen and directors Avram Glant and Joe Graham, Avram, Grant, Avram, Avram Glazer sorry, and Joe Glazer said the strength of Man United rests on the passion and loyalty of the global community of, <laughs> look what they're talking about uh, the global community of 1.1 billion fans and followers. As we seek to continue building on the club's history of success the board has authorised a thorough uh, evaluation the strategic alternatives we will ev- evaluate all options to ensure that we best serve the fans and the main maximizes the significant growth opportunities available to the club today and to the future throughout this process we will remain fully focused on serving the best interests of, be- uh, of our fans shareholders and various stakeholders the rain group is acting as the company's exclusive financial advisor and left and watkins llp legal counsel to the company Rothschild child and co is acting as the exclusive financial advisor for the Glazer shareholders there can be no assurances that the reviewing uh, that review being undertaken will result in any transaction involving the company May United does not intend to make further announcements regarding the review unless until the board approved a specific transaction and other course of action requiring a formal announcement I'm over the moon. There is this other statement that came out, allegedly, that says something along the lines of the Glades are only looking for US buyers, which I think is a nonsense because, you know, they're going to have other people come in and obviously put their bids in. I've, I've heard talk already of a Middle Eastern conglomerate coming in and saying something. So I'm happy. I don't care who owns us. I don't think there are any, you know, billionaires out there that are morally in a place to say that they don't earn their money in some sort of immoral, you know, way that maybe... Would go against some of our worldviews, so I guess it is what it is. But I just feel like as we get new owners in, who you know, first port of call is us winning trophies. Because that's something I never really understood about the Glazers, they came in and didn't necessarily care about winning the trophies or putting into a process, uh, putting us putting a structure in place that would allow us to win trophies until maybe the last few years. I don't feel like they did it for the majority of the time at the club. And the weird thing is, is that the more successful a club is on the pitch, the more commercially viable you are. And the more able you are to exhaust and to flip and rinse and pull as many dividends as you want out of the club if you're more successful on the pitch. And they didn't want to do that. And now things are kind of drying up. And you're seeing now the other clubs are pulling away. The financial you know, the financial backing of clubs like Man City and, and, and flipping Newcastle is only going to get higher. Arsenal on the brink potentially of winning the league. You've got Chelsea who are also always going to be in amongst it. If ever there was a time to sell up and allow Man United to have the chance to basically reclaim their position, now it will be the best time. And obviously, considering what's going on with other clubs in the league, this is also a great time to invest if you want to get in from the start. So I feel like all things being equal, this is the best news that could have happened. Legitimately the best news that could have happened. And I'm over the moon about it. Legitimately over the moon about it. Next thing to quickly touch upon... This comment or this story that I saw somebody post on the Burkhine subreddit recently that really made me um, think about how I've basically dealt with things. So essentially to paraphrase, this person was complaining that when they're on the dance floor, um, people who are maybe getting up to some, you know, XXX hanky panky take up all the room. Or they make it uncomfortable for people who just want to dance and listen to the music to have some fun in front of the DJ booth, right? It turns into a little bit of a of, of a weird standing up orgy session, right? You know, in no uncertain terms. And I've had the similar experience, not with the orgies, more so with people just standing in front of the booth and stunting, or hanging out with their friends, or secretly recording videos, or having bumps and stuff, or taking drugs. It can be a little bit unsettling, a little bit annoying. But what I've realized over the years is that the more I started to go out, the more I started to realise how quickly things change and the community of people that I used to go out quite often with, even the people that I used to promote club nights with, I used to do that quite often um, all year round and there'll be a certain group of people who, you know, you may invite to come and do your club night, they might invite you to do theirs, which they didn't, actually, which is always kind of funny, but hey, it is what it is, but you just always saw each other out and about. I rarely if ever see the same people out and about now when I go out. Now, don't get me wrong, My taste in music has somewhat matured and maybe evolved. I'm not listening to the same things I was listening to when I was promoting those club nights. But just in terms of going out and being around, I don't see those guys and girls anymore. And I think a lot of it has to do with them just moving on to different things. They don't necessarily care about going to the club as much as I do. So if that's the case, there's going to be new generation of kids coming up or just new people overall who are going to be taking those people's spaces because one thing about clubs even though the generations keep changing every four years and the scenes right that's the kind of um, thing that a lot of owners say a lot of people that commentate on cultural events and nightlife and scene reports and whatnot they always say usually it's like a four-year cycle in terms of one crew or one click or one kind of movement or one kind of thing is happening in that four-year block and then another four years is another scene kind of populating and spreading through so I keep knocking the mic all that things kind of happen a lot and I feel like now however many years has passed clearly there's a whole different conglomerate of people out there that are enjoying themselves and for the most part when I'm in a space and I feel like I'm getting annoyed by the people around me the first thing I do is a little bit of self-reflection and kind of ground myself and say hey they're not doing anything annoying they're at a party they're 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 intoxicated they're high they're doing whatever they're doing but they're not doing anything wrong if you're feeling agitated or you're feeling upset Take away take yourself away from the situation. And that's the beauty of clubs. You can always find a little pocket somewhere where you can dance and have a good time. And for someone like myself who's not necessarily that bothered about standing in front of DJs and just watching them mix and seeing how they do things, I don't necessarily care. We have live streams where you can literally zoom in and see exactly what they do on the decks if you wanna get any tips. But when I'm in a club, I wanna dance. I wanna legitimately sweat my face off. I wanna come back, have my t-shirt drenched, I wanna be tired I want to have my arms be soft more the flipping fist bumping I'm doing that's what I want so I don't necessarily need to be in the front I don't need to be in any area where there's uh, you know an abundance of core cool people just put me in a corner where I can nod my head and hear the music loud then I'm all well and good and that served me really well and I feel like I've got a little bit of good training with that when I was going to the parties like Inferno when I'm going to these parties like Budokai when I'm going to you know uh body hammer all these type of places that are more so queer and lgbtq kind of based and centered and me coming in as a straight guy I kind of feel like I'm taking up space or you don't want to put people off or you don't want to, you know, be a vibe killer because you're giving off too much cis straight, you know, guy energy. So I usually just find my space or my place to kind of dance and I kind of keep to myself. It's been difficult in the beginning, especially in the start. You go to these flipping inferno raves and stuff and you see these people walking by in these amazing outfits, boys, girls, whatever you want to touch, you want to talk, you want to admire, you want to exalt, you want to praise. But actually, as well-intentioned as you may be, it just comes across a bit annoying. It comes across a little bit needy. It comes across a little bit intrusive. You just kind of... got to keep your distance and i've learned to kind of navigate those sort of spaces and make myself comfortable without making other people uncomfortable and i feel like that has maybe led to me understanding that when i go to a place like Bergheim and i see all the cool kids in the front all the gen z is doing their thing with their little pearl necklaces and their painted nails and their cool piercings and their vest shirts tucked into their trousers and all that stuff i don't get annoyed by it i actually smile and think yeah great those are the next gen who are carrying a torch and who are going to do great things. The same people who are there dancing are probably like me when I first went to Bergheim, where I was like, oh, one day I'm going to be behind that booth. And that's what they're probably thinking. They're thinking, one day I'm going to be behind a booth. One day I might own a club like this. One day I might have my own DJ agency. Whatever it is, they're all kind of germinating those ideas and kind of bouncing off each travel and all that energy. And the first and last thing I want to do is come in here like the old furry and be like, oh, back in my diary. Yeah. No, no. I just pull myself away from the situation, find a little pocket that I can dance and have a good time in and it's all well and good. It's all kind of been removed because I hear a lot of people talking about you know Gen Z and kind of making them out to be the most annoying people ever in the world. Trust me, they're not. I know what we used to get up to when I used to be out in clubs, right? We used to do just as bad as they used to do. Like, I've got my education about knowing not to do certain things on the dance floor or how to manoeuvre myself, but that comes with experience, that comes with knowledge, that comes with going out a lot of times, sets of reps, being out there. And sometimes people care more than others, you know? Maybe I have more sensitivity to these things because I'm more foreign to it, but maybe this new generation don't because that is what they, that's their day-to-day life. They know how to, you know, they know about pronouns, They know how to interact with spaces that aren't necessarily designed for them and not be overbearing. It's just something that's ingrained in them because that's what they've lived. That's what they've been brought up in. Maybe I haven't because I'm having to kind of educate myself in real time. But I think in general, if you're ever in a space and you feel annoyed and you feel like people around you are doing this and they're doing that, look at her, look at him, blah, blah. blah, It's never them. It's always you. Take yourself away from the situation, go to the toilet, have have a little drink, maybe drop a pill, whatever it may be, come back out, find a corner for you to go and dance in and then just stay there and you'll be fine and everything will be forgotten about it'll all be a distant dream I guarantee it'll be a distant dream that's my impression anyway that's my impression anyway next on the news here we've got news courtesy of Mixed Mag, which I thought was pretty cool it says Travis Scott and Skepta to headline new Virgil Abra honoring festival in Miami I immediately thought back so I was like oh yeah damn it's actually a one-year anniversary coming up isn't it if I'm not mistaken, Virgil Abloh passed away at the end of November, beginning of December. So his one-year anniversary of his passing is coming up. One year already. And it feels crazy because I remember when I used to keep looking at Virgil's Instagram story, which I absolutely love. And I'm kind of, I feel like, maybe that's where I decided to carry the torch in terms of just uploading mad Instagram stories. Because I think I remember when he passed, one of the things I said I remember I would do as a sort of way to honour his legacy and the kind of impact I felt like he had on my life in terms of what he did, his outsized impact, I feel like was to do just a million projects at once. And I feel like I've kind of done some of that, but also the Instagram stories thing. And also the, you know, another thing also that I've learned from that I've kind of done as to kind of carry the torch, just following people who follow you. Rags. If you follow me and you're cool and we have a little interaction, bang, I'll follow. what I'm not tight with a follow. Um, replying to everything, like especially if I see stuff online. But let's continue. Um, it says as follows. A brand new festival honoring the late DJ and fashion designer and entrepreneur Virgil Abloh is set to go ahead for the first time this December in Miami. Mirror Mirror Festival will take place across one day, December 3rd at the Miami FPL Solar Amphitheater at Bayfront Park as part of the city's up and coming Art Basel affair. Raw Art Basel. That's always an indicator that the year's ending, isn't it? When Art Basel comes around. That like, all year round, flipping influencer toy, you're going to all these different places, and then boom, Art Basel, Miami, you're kind of chilling out with a Negroni, looking at people in your free Stussy garms, loving life. Travis Scott and Skepta have been announced as the headliners for the debut event, who will then be joined by artists that include Yves Yves, uh, Yves Tumor, who I'm a big fan of. Bambi, who I've featured, I think, before regarding that topic, regarding the Blessed Madonna or the Black Madonna, I think so. Pedro, I'm not too sure who that is. Venus X, who I actually booked once for a club night in Dawson many moons ago, and she cancelled last minute. Damn you, Venus, damn you. Um, A-Side, Rampa, and Benji B. Benji B, I don't know, man. Love-hate relationship with Benji B. When I see my man play Ama piano, I just had to turn off, but we continue. Um, Mirror Mirror was set up to honor of the, uh, the late great artist Virgil Abloh who passed away in November 2021 um, following a private battle with cancer. The festival was set to commemorate Abloh by championing artists close to him. Shannon Abloh, Virgil's wife and CEO of Virgil Abloh Securities said in a press release, Virgil had the ability to bring everyone together to create magic, 100% agree with that. With his close collaborations, we wanted to bring everyone together to celebrate Virgil's legacy, his passion and his care for others. He believed his work was championing others and will continue to work to support the youth in the arts and And launched the Virgabir Foundation in 2023. The creation of the Mirror Mirror um, was helped by the long-running collaborator and friend Benji B, who. With all profits going towards the Virgil Abloh Foundation set up next, launch next year, amazing! Mirror Mirror was or has also sees Travis Scott return to the festival stage. His first headline show, wow! True, since the 2021 disaster, uh, the uh, the actual tragedy. Sorry, next year Travis is also slated to headline Rolling Loud Festival in California. Tickets for Mirror Mirror go on sale November 23rd. Grab yours here. Crazy, right? Um, yeah. What was I gonna say? It's mad, isn't it? Time goes by so quickly which I think is why it's really important part of Virgil's legacy is the fact that he did so much in such a short time. Like you think he passed away in his early 40s and he was, in my opinion, just getting started. That was the kind of sad part about his passing. Like the somewhat... It's all sad, but the real sad part for me was that the fact that he was finally coming into his true powers. Like less so about the products and more so about what he represented and what he was doing by his actions right he was kind of leading um, by example a good a good flipping example to kind of think back on was the outrage around him donating fifty dollars or whatever it may be um for that blm thing he got called out for it maybe it was overreaction maybe it was justified we're not here to pontificate about that but his reaction to it was incredible all those trust and things that he set up and foundations came, I feel like, and again, maybe I'm misremembering it, but I feel like it came off the back of that call out because of what he donated um, during the whole George, post-George Floyd sort of um, unfortunate passing and tragedy at the hands of brutality and also the after effects with BLM and what, and what happened afterwards. He responded in the best way possible. He put his money where his mouth is. And now in his passing, unfortunate as it is, is now got this legacy that will live long, long past even us passing. His name will be forever tied to the fact that he is. Um, you know essentially the person who is sponsoring helping mentoring and providing a platform for these young designers or young people who just want to do cool things he's basically provided that platform and foundation for them and it's incredible to see I also love the fact that Shannon Abloh is getting involved his wife who by all accounts purposely wanted to stay away from the limelight kind of stay behind the scenes and I read some other articles that said she'd always been involved in his business she just was never really kind of out there in the front with it which is absolutely brilliant and I remember from the short time that that I worked with Virgil Abloh doing that online streetwear program um, that I remember one of the kind of sticking points and the struggles and the hassles and the annoyance that we had in our company was that he kept on jetting back to Chicago. He'd come to Europe to do a project or come to look over a collection or do some meetings and he'd legitimately get back on a plane to go and hang out with his family again. Like, back and forth. It was absolutely insane. So It wasn't even like he was one of these other kind of, you know, dirtbag, scumbag people who had a family at home but had a completely different life outside of that. When they were in Paris, they were city boy doing all sorts of madness. No, he was going back and forth to visit his family on a const- on a constant basis. I can't imagine... The amount of air miles he must have had before he passed away must have been absolutely insane. But yeah, so I think that's his kind of everlasting legacy. And this festival being set up, I think, is also a good idea. Because again, Virgil was always somebody that I feel like, in some cases, loved the after party more than the show. Or maybe loved the... Yeah, maybe loved the Alta more show because he felt like somebody that loved the ideation and the kind of design process and the collaborative nature of that in terms of the, the WhatsApp groups and the sketches and all that and being in the studio. But the show was a little bit of an anticlimax because it came and it went. But then the creating the lasting moments were kind of the pre-show and also the after parties where you get to meet people touch bases hug you know hang out play some great tunes have that moment on instagram maybe politic and link with um link and build with some people all that stuff was probably stuff that he probably lived for and that was a part of his life force and if anything those were the things that people look forward to as well when they go to paris if they went to go to off white show oh what's the where's the after party um where can we go where can we go after where's the dj where is that happening blah blah blah, blah. and it Kind of went on and on and on, so I feel like this is probably the best way to honor him with having these sort of celebrations, especially at a place like Art Basel, something that Virgil would have obviously done himself, I think easily um, had something going on in that regard, but yeah, it's just sad to see that it's one year gone since the great man passed away. Um, I feel like he didn't get his flowers when he was around. Unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people clearly you know went out of their way to try to rewrite history, like they were always supporting the guy after he's passing, which is unfortunate, but in the end. It's still welcomed, I feel like, you know, regardless if you are kind of acting brand new or pretending like you didn't like the guy when he was around, the fact that now he's passed and people are honouring him and giving him respect that he deserves is still great because his kids, when they you know grow up, they'll see all these amazing flowers, all these, you know, influential people in the industry giving him his flowers, saying great things about him, a community of fans and whatnot that you know stretches far and wide. And their own kind of, you know, family and friends coasting that are supporting them. All of that will still be beneficial, I think, going through in the future. So it's all well and good. But, you know, force and feelings go out to Shannon Ablo and the kids. Hope they're doing well and they're being strong and people around them are supporting them. Force and feelings go out to Virgil Abloh's close friends because I'm sure this next week and so will be bittersweet. Celebrating the guy's memory, but also knowing that he's not here anymore is going to really hurt. But in general... You know, he curated such a lasting legacy in such a short space of time. He led by example, um, by all accounts, was a genuine nice guy. There's not a lot of them in the scene, trust me. I've been around these people. Some of them are absolute cunts. And the fact that he wasn't, and he had every right to be, given the amount of clout, success, the friends that he has, his network, he could definitely be one of those guys and it would be somewhat understandable, but he went out of his way to be nice, went out of his way to be kind, went out of his way to have manners, to be personable, right? The kind of guy that will shake your hand and not give you that scene, like loose kind of wet fish shake, he'll shake your hand, look you in the eye and say, good, whatever, compliment you on something that you're wearing. Exchange a couple of DMs, leave you a comment on your flipping Instagram like he did on mine. Do you know I mean just be nice? Like you people on his stature don't do that. Do you know what I mean they, they they hardly double tap a comment if you leave it on an Instagram account. The fact that he'll leave a comment and emoji, double tap or like, or even share stuff on your stories it goes a long way. I know it's not anything, it doesn't mean nothing in the gram scheme of things, but think of the people that are in the scene that don't do that. He did that, and when I was able to do that, so I feel like that is something that I've kind of learned and kind of decided to embrace in my own life. Even though I did it anyway. But in terms of saying, hey, if this guy that reached. The heights of all heights can be nice and decent, and not get too big for his britches, and not be just an overall megalomaniac. Then I have no right to be it, especially at what I'm doing. Yeah, you know I mean, I, I, I'm nowhere near the success level that he's at. Obviously, I hope to get there and surpass it. But at the current moment, I have no reason to act brand new. If that, if this guy didn't act brand new, and you know, I just love the fact that in general as well, after he's passing, no one had a bad to say about him personally everyone can say what they want about the product to say what they want about the clothes can say what they want about the activations collaborations maybe the views but him as a human being everyone had great things to say about him legitimate great things and i absolutely love that so r.i.p virgilablo um gone but never forgotten and thoughts and feelings got out to his family and friends it's gonna, definitely going to be a tough time you know celebrating or remembering him um one year gone But again, he's left a lasting legacy that I feel like will stretch on way, 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 way past, um, you know, his natural life, in my opinion. But hey, so this topic is an interesting one. This is about Lily Rose Depp. And I feel like it has some parallels with the things that I've been talking about when it comes to stand up comedians on my live stream, The Random Show. And when it comes to stand up comedians, I feel like one of the main criticisms that comes towards somebody like a Brendan Shaw is the fact that he doesn't recognize or acknowledge the advantages that he's been given and the opportunities he's been given through his relationship and close friendship with someone like a Joe Rogan and maybe the platform that he has with the fire and the kid and all that stuff it's basically allowed him to jump the queue when it comes to comedy or even just his career as a content creator overall but for some reason he seems to be really unable to recognise that that influence played a large part in the fact that he is the person that he is now at the moment but he doesn't want to recognise it and I feel like Lily Rose Depp situation that she's currently going through where a bunch Bunch of models are attacking her because she came out in this interview with Elle. And essentially poo-pooed the idea that her being a nepotism baby had anything to do with her success in modeling and she thinks that it was all to do with her hard work I feel like what Lily Rose is saying is something that is echoed by a lot of nep- nepo quote-unquote babies there's a small community of them right I, I can I can think of an uh, of a Tracy Ellis Ross big up her big up auntie there's not a lot of other examples of nepotism babies babies who are or people who are born from families who have an outsized influence in culture or who are famous in their own regard and have the ability to give their kids every opportunity needed in order to advance their career there's a very small contingent of those nepotism babies who are you know who are aware of the advantages that they've been given and acknowledge them and just do the work there's very little of them for the majority of them it feels like they go out of their way to fight against that nepo baby label not acknowledge the advantages that they've been given by, you know, by the luck of being born to the family they've been born into, and just attribute all their success to hard work. A good example being that Kim Kardashian rant about hard work and that people not working hard enough. I'm sure to I like I've, like I've said many times to people personally in you know in real in real life when they're asking about the Kardashians because I guess people just assume that I would hate them, but I don't. And I've always said that I don't think it's easy to be a Kardashian to be like a full time essentially influencer of your own body and you want to look a particular way it's not easy even if you're getting surgery you still have to work out you still have to abstain yourself from eating certain things you still have to sleep a certain amount of time you still maybe have to avoid hard drugs and alcohol for the most part there are things you have to sacrifice and do to keep your body in prim shape so you can fit in sample clothes go and do shoots fly around the world it's not an easy job I'm pretty sure, much sure it's not an easy job but for Kim Kardashian to stand there and say anybody could look like them anybody can do the things that they do if they just worked harder is incredibly insulting because essentially if you weren't born into that family that allowed you the ability to experiment with your career to take some chances to avoid certain pitfalls that other people in your age group can get into or just the the, the hard luck of being brought up in an area where you don't leave your area and you unfor- and you have an unfortunate passing before the age of 21 so you can't even fulfill your dreams all those play into it that all those play a part in the person you end up being as an adult but for some reason I don't know why it is but nepotism baby can never figure it out and I for one don't get it because i've always thought to myself if i was a nepo baby and i was born into a family of you know wealth privilege and influence i of course would use it to do the thing that i wanted to do whether it was be a photographer start my own magazine have a creative agency but there'd be no need to comment on these nepotism baby you know topics or conversation pieces because i know that me being brought into that family or born into that family sorry has given me advantages that other people probably aren't privy to that is k- quite obvious to see. But I'm going to prove myself by doing the work. Maybe my parents got me the position, cool, but I'm going to keep the position by being really good at my job. And that's something I've never really understood why these Nepo babies don't do. But I guess, like I was mentioning earlier about me having this trope or this cope that I do about no friends, it's basically a. a a kind of shield for an insecurity maybe this is what they're doing with these nepo babies maybe they're so insecure about the fact that they're a nepo baby that immediately when it comes up they just want to be defensive about it because you don't feel good you know having people look at you thinking you're only there because of your dad or because of your mom so i can understand uh, the trepidation around it the interesting thing about me with um, lily rose depp is that High Fashion Twitter, for the most part, was celebrating her because they felt like she had she was a perfect match for, for Chanel. She looked good in the clothes. It kind of matched her aesthetic. And it was maybe the, the defining moment in her quote unquote modeling career that was going to take her to the next level. But then, as soon as she opened her mouth and started talking, people immediately started to realize why they weren't necessarily the biggest fans of her as a person and why maybe, you know, she doesn't necessarily get it overall and it completely turned on a flipping sixpence, which is absolutely incredible so let's see where the quote is i forgot where it is let me just actually search here nepo baby there you go yeah speaking of internet opinions has she heard about the nepo baby conversation she laughs dryly unfamiliar depp sounds resigned to it which is maybe one all can be in her situation The internet seems to care a lot about that kind of stuff. People are going to have preconceived ideas about how or how you got there. And I can definitely say that nothing is going to get you to the part except for being right for the part. She says, The internet cares a lot more about who your family is than the people who are casting you in things. (laughs) Maybe you get your foot in the door, but you still just have your foot in the door. There's a lot of work that comes after that. She does find it interesting, however, that she rarely hears anyone refer to a man as nipper baby. Incorrect. It's weird to me to reduce somebody to the idea that they're only there because of their generational thing. It just doesn't make any sense. If somebody's mum or dad is a doctor and the kid becomes a doctor, you're not going to be like, well, you're only a doctor because your parent is a doctor. It's like, no, I went to medical school and trained. Were ever careful, she's quick to add that she by no means comparing her work to that or some of somebody in the medical field. Okay, cool. I'm about to say, I just hear it a lot more from women, and I think that is, and I think, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Okay, there's so many things wrong with this, it doesn't make any sense. Um, the internet seems to care about a lot of these things than most people. That would be true because most people on the internet are just average, everyday people. They're not people of privilege. They're not people that work in the industry. They don't see stuff that behind the scenes. So all you can do is comment on stuff from just what you see in front of you. And that revolves a lot of gossip. It involves a lot of conjecture and a lot of just mindless rambling. That's the nature of people viewing stuff on the internet. You're going to see it. You're going to comment on it. It is what it is, right? That's not re- that big of a deal. And then I also think that there's an, em- there's an element of some people out there who clearly aren't where they want to be in life and sometimes you look at other examples of people who are maybe your age mates or in your age range or your peers and you think to yourself how did they get there how am I working my ass off you know in however you perceive that to be but I'm not closer to my dreams yet this person is considerably younger than I am and they've landed a flipping campaign with Chanel how'd that happen you google their name then you start seeing their parents name in blue, which means they've got a hyperlink, which means they've got a page on their, you know, their own parents have a page. You click on it and you realize, oh damn, that's who their parents are. Now it makes all, now it makes complete sense. And it could do two things to you. It could either deflate, it could either deflate you and make you bummed out in terms of you're never going to have those parents. And that's the main reason why you're not successful. What's the point? Give up. Or it's going to alleviate some of your self-talk some of your insecurity some of your anxiety and let you know that your journey may be a little bit longer or different than this person because they had these advantages that you weren't privy to that can be that can happen also and it continues here um da-da-da-da. this part I thought was really really interesting Uh, Yeah, this part, yeah? I can definitely say that nothing is going to get you to the part except for being right for the part. The internet cares a lot more about who your family is and the people who are casting you in these things, which again is a weird weird chasm of a flipping blind spot because what she's not understanding is that behind the scenes, before she gets into the room, calls are being made, texts are being exchanged to make that experience, you know, easy, or things are happening without her even knowing. People, maybe casting directors, maybe assistants, are Googling and checking your social media profiles before you arrived, realizing you're somebody of some sort of repute or some sort of fame, which I imagine would happen way before that. But still, all these things are happening before you even set foot on set. So that will maybe influence people's reaction to you, how you kind of navigate the space, whether there's a selection process, it might even get you the job. These are things that are happening without you even being aware of it. These are all things that were happening before you even conceived right these advantages were being laid down because your parents basically were successful whatever field they were successful in which maybe carried some favors and some connections some network these are all things happening outside of your kind of purview so the fact that she's not aware of them is quite and un- it's understandable but also a little bit um lol in that regard um, we continue i hate how she says in this bit maybe you get your foot in the door but you still just have your foot in the door as if the foot in the door isn't everything how many of us would die, would kill to have a foot in the door in whatever industry that we're hoping to make it in just so we can prove ourselves? Most of us are like that, right? My, myself included. I think of my DJing stuff. I never want to be given an opportunity based on the color of my skin or where I'm from every in a million years. But if somebody gave it to me and said, hey, this is your foot in the door. That would be my foot in the door to show and prove that despite you giving me this position or this opportunity based on the colour of my skin, I'm actually good enough for the job. I can perform. I can do the thing that you need me to do. I'm actually good at this, but I just need the opportunity to show that I'm good at this. And some of us don't even get the opportunity to show and prove. Some of these castings that she'd go into are closed. They're not for anybody to walk into. You have to be part of a particular agency. They're already vetted before you even turn up to the flipping building. Do you know what I mean? So this idea that a foot in the door is is just a foot in the door is something somebody of privilege will say because it's as if like, oh, we've all got the same 24 hours. Yeah, to a certain extent, but some of us have things, you know, if you're looking after an entire family, and you're 18, your, your 24 hours isn't the same as some girl who, you know, goes to Yale and also is a full-time social media influencer on the side. She maybe has more time in a day to do the touch she wants to do because she doesn't have to look after, you know, a little brother, a mum that may be incapacitated, and a dad that's, that's not present. That's a completely different type of 24 hours. So this is a little bit infuriating, but it continues it's weird to me to reduce somebody to the idea that they're only there because of the generational thing which no one said actually people just said it it can play a part no one says anybody's there Only because of their parents. It plays a part. You still have to keep the job. Unless it's politics or whatever it may be, right? Some you know, what's that thing about Joe Biden's son being some consort to Ukraine in a field he has no expertise in? Those are clearly jobs just given to keep somebody on a straight and narrow and whatnot, whatever. But for the most part, even if you are a Nepo baby and you get your foot in the door, no one says you you know, you got the entire job for seventeen years only because of your parents, or you're only there because of your parents. Maybe you got your foot in the door because your parents, but clearly you are you are um, capable enough to keep that job for that amount of time so you may be adequate enough at your job to keep a job that makes complete sense I get that no one actually said that. she's arguing to no one but it continues here um, equating being a model or an actress to being a doctor is laughable By saying, if somebody's mom or dad is a doctor, then the kid becomes a doctor. You're not going to be like, well, you're only a doctor because your parents are a doctor. Because if there was a modeling school that you had to go to, an equivalent of like MIT, an equivalent of Harvard, would she have gone? I doubt it. That's the thing about nepotism babies. They always skip the queue. They always jump the necessary process, necessary steps. Brendan Shaw being a good example. He's a stand-up comedian. Joe Rogan's his best friend. Gives him the opportunity to come on the Joe Rogan experience, which essentially propels his profile, even though he was relatively famous on his own right with the UFC and the stuff he was doing there. But still, the Joe Rogan experience allowed him to reach a whole number of people he would have never probably reached without that friendship. Cool. We completely understand that, right? But there is a school in stand-up comedy which equates to going to open mics, right, and doing going to going on the road and doing triple runs and stuff and playing for audiences that aren't your own to build yourself up as a comedian. He skipped that and just performed to his own crowd for a minute one. Never, ever did open mics to the extent that professional comedians do, never went on the road and performed in front of fans that don't know who he is. It was always to his own crowd, which Never babies always do. They always cut corners. So if there was a Harvard for flipping comedy, or if there was a Harvard for education, or if there was a, sorry, a Harvard for acting, a Harvard for modelling, would she have gone? Probably not right? There's at the moment, what is it? It's, it's flipping Juliet? There's, there's a there's a performing arts university that, is, that exists, right? Colleges. Will she have gone to a performing arts place to go and hone her craft and then use that as opportunity to then go and do her career? No. You step out at what age she is. Under 22, I think she is, right? Um, she's pretty short for a model. She might be 5'2", five 5'3". Five and now you've got a campaign with Chanel. Most... Most models don't have that advantage. Most models are already ruled out by flipping model scouts based on their height. They might see somebody that's got an amazing face, but automatically rule them out because of their height, because of their shape, because of their, whatever it may be. But you get the advantage to even be seen in that way because of who your parents are. Obviously, it helps that she's got a face. Cool. That clearly helps. But the attributes that most models have that they kind of can't help, you know, in terms of their DNA and their genetics, they're already counted out. But you get counted in based on your based on your lineage. So the, to kind of compare it to doctor thing is insane because number one, if there was a school for modeling, they wouldn't go, and they'd obviously keep skipping the queue regardless. It continues. Um, no, I went to medical school and trained. <laughs> okay, cool. Ever careful, she's quick to point out that by no means this means comparing the work; just a coincidence. Um, but I do. But I, and I also laugh that she tried to turn this into a men and women thing. There are plenty of nepotism babies within. You know that are men that people also call out i don't think it's a gender thing in the slightest in my own personal opinion but again what do i know when it comes to these sort of topics in it what do i know but obviously forget my opinion on this whole matter the most important and the most interesting eye-opening opinion of all this thing was definitely models coming out and essentially denouncing everything that lily rose depp had to say about being a nepo baby and the advantages that that comes from it when she wants to be a model And they completely, completely ripped her to shreds. And it was pretty interesting to see because it was models that covered every kind of remit. It wasn't just done in terms of, I feel like, you know, out of any type of jealousy or anything, because some of these models are super successful. Some of them are on the come up. Some of them just have a good and comfortable career. And they all categorically came out and essentially, you know, denounced and, you know, basically called into question everything Lily Rose Depp said. And I thought it was really, really illuminating. One model here called Vittoria Serretti said as follows. This is her, obviously, as you can see there. Looking very, very good in the headshot there. Nice colours in the black and white. And then her actual comment here is quite eye-opening. It says as follows. I just want to share a thought here because I can. I bumped into an interview of a so-called Nepo baby or whatever y'all call it, because privileged daughter slash son, cousin, niece, nephew, whatever of some kind of celebrity. Let me tell you something. Yes, I get the whole I'm here and I work hard for it, but I would really love to see if you would have lasted through the first five years of my career not only being rejected because I know you have an experience with it and you can tell me your sad little story about it in quotation or in brackets even if at the end of the day you still have you still always got to cry on your dad's couch in your villa in Malibu but how about not being able to pay for your flight back home to your family waiting for hours to do a fitting and casting just to see a nipper baby walk past you from the warm seat of his or her's Mercedes with his or her driver her or his friend assistant agent taking care of her or her her his mental health you have no fucking idea how much you have to fight to make people respect you it takes years you get it by free from day one i have many nippo baby friends whom i respect but i can't stand listening to you compare yourself to me i was not born on a comfy sexy pillow with a view i know it's not your fault but please appreciate and know the place that you come from love xv and it's interesting because i feel like There's a bunch of Nepo babies or people who come from privilege in the DJ world, for instance. One that I can immediately think of is Peggy Goo. But she goes out of her way not to speak about her background and her family and how she got brought up because it just invites unnecessary criticism. Why open yourself up to it? But in some areas, Nepo babies want to kind of stand up for themselves and say, no, I'm here for my I'm here because of the, you know, my hard work only. And essentially they make themselves a target because people start looking, you know, and analysing further pinching and zooming and they clearly see that mm, by all accounts if you are just a regular model you would find it 10 times harder to make it based on just how tall you are because the girl's 5'2 so you would immediately find it difficult regardless of what her face card says it'll be immediately hard to make it as a model especially a runway model especially a model with editorialism that stuff because they love models with long arms long legs and whatnot and proportions have to be a certain way and if you wear a certain amount you're suddenly plus size it's awful It's really shallow and whatnot, but it's clearly hard to get in just based on stuff that you can't even control. So the fact that you get a foot in, in despite all your quote unquote modeling flaws or acting shortcomings says everything you need to say about being an nepo baby that's the whole point you get given advantages or introductions that most people wouldn't get and some things get overlooked that other people wouldn't overlook and also as she mentioned here about the struggles if you do get rejected it pretty it, it must be nice to get rejected on some comfy pillows it must be nice how people you know um, taking you to and from your airport and not having to jump on the public transport or you know fight for a space on a flipping bus or not have money to come back home from a flight from a casting all those things definitely help your ability to land the job because if you have somehow a clear calm state of mind that will allow you to present your best self but when you're worrying about you know looking after your brother whether or not you have enough money to send your mum whether or not this person has this has this is that that's going to affect your ability to kind of do a good job I would assume so that's just my assumption and then look at the list of other models that came out and said something this is courtesy of model facts on Twitter who put together all these screenshots and endorsements from other models who absolutely tore this lady and New one, another one I have to point out here that someone said, Let's put let's talk about Anuk. it's Anuk Yai opens up about her struggles as a newcomer in the conversation regarding Nepo babies. And again, let's get everyone's face card up because I feel like that's important to set the tone so you know that they're legit and it's not just some random person talking, these are actual legit models speaking about this stuff. And this is Anuk Yai. She says, As following, how do you pronounce her name, Anuk Yai or Anuk Yai? Uh, Anuk Yai, I'm gonna say. I remember at the very beginning of my career, with all this hype around my name, there was this perceived notion that I had an upper hand. I can tell you it was quite the opposite. Words can't begin to explain the feeling of being a young new face, having to navigate this industry full of powerful, influential people and feeling like you are nothing. I moved to New York with nothing but my college debt and $30 to my my older sister gave me. With the viral photo, many people, even ones in the industry, beloved What's the viral photo? Is that the one of, is that, is, is a nuke the one from, um ah, oh, from a festival? Is that is that a nuke? I'm not too sure. Because I'm not, again, when it comes to models, that's my blind spot. I love fashion, but models, I have no idea what their names are. But is she the one from the festival where she's wearing like some denim shorts and a black top? look her skin looks amazing in the sun is that her i'm not too sure but anyway let's continue um with the viral photo many people even ones in the industry believed that my notoriety provided me some type of privilege or power but i quickly learned that what it means to truly have power and privilege because at the end of the day i had none i was just a new face i remember just weeks into my career my agent sat me down and told me everyone thinks you're rich now so you have to play the part <laughs> oh my god amazing isn't it? you got love fashion and modeling in general the fashion industry overall just your image alone the fact that you are a certain places people think you got money which might explain why people yeah you know, i heard people say it's a lot like with influencers you might see them in certain places wearing certain things but some some of them don't have 50 dollars in their bank account which is absolutely crazy to think of right um but it continues here and i did play my part i knew that i knew that that was my way in I remember barely being able to afford living in New York but having to budget out flights, hotels, cars for work, taking out loans so I could buy food, drowning in debt, seeing myself on billboards but having a few dollars to my name. Imagine how that must feel. Seeing yourself on a billboard for this amazing campaign, looking amazing, looking cool in clothes, going to all these shows, having all these people on your phone, but then you don't have any money in your bank account. God almighty. I had flights for, I had to fight for every single thing but I don't mind. I wanted to earn my stripes. Every day I went to casting after casting, go see after go see. I knew that if I walked into a room, the only way I would be remembered was by being one of, if not the most talented or interesting people. That's the kind of, you know, that's the unfortunate part of being black in the industry. You can't be good enough. You can't be average. You always have to overperform. Overperform sometimes is not enough. You overperform, you do the best job and it still isn't enough. But then you have to kind of dust yourself over again and go again because no one's going to give you any sympathy. No one's going to give you a tissue if you're crying. You just have to kind of wipe yourself down and go again. It's brutal. It really is. Every day I went to casting after casting, ghosty after ghosty. I knew that if I walked into a room, the only way I could be remembered was by being one of, if not the most talented or extraordinary people. I taught myself everything I could about the industry. Studied every model, watched every film, learned how to walk, how to talk, how to pose, everything even though i had taught myself all these things i still walked into rooms terrified because i knew that if i didn't perform my best i would have nothing to fall back on i'm young i'm broke i'm alone my parents can't help me you know how true and how touching that is that speaks directly to my experience bruv there is no there is no comfort blanket it doesn't exist it just you just have to legitimately dust yourself up and keep it going anyway there's more to her I can confidently say, after relentless and consistent work, I've been able to command my place in industry, but the hurdles I've had to go through were never-ending, teaching myself how to run a business at 19 years old, the imposter syndrome of being a kid from the hood trying to make it out, the survivor's guilt, being ignored at work when someone more important walked in, constantly passing out from exhaustion, being told to think about the money, think about your family, not being able to get support from the parents or because you're the one supporting them. I even be, I even got called a cockroach by photographers. The list goes on. Anouk is one of the most famous, well-known models out there. And she's got photographers in this era knowing everything that happened with Terry Richardson and other famous photographers and people in the industry who got cancelled and taken down for their horrible bully abusive behavior. There are still people behind the scenes till this day calling models cockroaches and shit. Are you dumb? And this obviously comes because you're not, you know, you don't have the nepo baby tag. You're not the daughter of Barack Obama. You're not the daughter of, you know, Samuel Jackson or something like that. You don't have that advantage of coming in a room and having people immediately respect you based on your name. You have to fight for everything yourself. That's why it makes it harder. And again, if you're a baby, you have your own struggles, cool. But trying to make your struggle the same as everybody else's is absolutely incredibly insulting. That's what it is. It's insulting. It continues. I will see some of you privileged kids stress about not booking a job because of the impact of your career. While there are those of us who stress about not booking a job because we don't know if we'll be able to take care of our parents this month or put our siblings through school. Crazy, isn't it, to think? I'm proud to say that I've fought for every ounce of respect or acknowledgement that I have. Seeing people benefit from nepotism doesn't bother me at all. I know my talent. Cool. I And work ethic will get me into any room I want. Boss. I, what does bother me is when power players in the industry, brands, directors and editors, pretend to act ignorant to the fact. Exactly. That's, that's always been the annoying part for me also. It's not the fact that nepotism exists because, you know, whatever, hot people, influential people are going to have babies and those babies are going to end up ruling the world. It is what it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a story as old as time. We know it. But it's just a it's the willful ignorance or blind um, refusal to acknowledge the privilege that those people have from regular people like you and I. It just is what it is. It's unfair, we know. We have to operate in the world that it is. There's not what we want it to be in our head. There is no such thing as a utopia, we understand. But don't insult my intelligence by suggesting that this person's struggle is the same as mine. It's not struggle Olympics, I understand, but it is insulting to suggest me worrying already about a shoot that's four months ahead of time because I don't have any money now is similar to this person who's going to jump on a jet whenever they feel like it and go to this casting if they're in the mood. It's not the same thing please. It's not the same thing. And to the privilege. I'm not saying that having privilege is a bad thing. It's a blessing. More power to you. And I know you work hard and have your struggles just like the rest of us. But goddamn, if you only knew the hell we go through just to be able to stand in the same room that you were born in. Oh, what a killer line at the end. If you only knew the hell we had to go through just to be able to stand in the same room that you were born in. That's it. That's a mic drop. You don't have anything more to say that. N- mic drop, mic drop, mic drop, mic drop. Nothing else needs to be said there. And Nuke absolutely smashed it. I just find it interesting and weird how in some industries, Nepo babies run away from that conversation. As I mentioned before, Peggy Goo being a good example. Her background, if I'm not mistaken, is that she had parents that were well off to the point where they allowed her the ability to go to Berlin and frolock around and you know figure out her life and whatnot over there. And then that kind of time to figure yourself out landed her in a community of people who were involved in the techno or DJing scene that then kind of you know allowed her to have an interest in it. I think there's maybe a record store involved, but just the ability to have the... Just the ability to be able to go to another country like Berlin or like Germany from South Korea and just hang out and feel the vibe and take part in a scene without having to worry about how you're going to make money or how you're going to pay rent is a great thing because that's going to allow you, if you are artistic, to put all your brain power and might and energies into your projects and not into worrying about whether or not you need to pay the bill or how you're going to you know pay for your flipping transport and stuff because that's all looked after that helps you now not everybody ends up being peggy goo because she still has to be talented and still has to be charismatic and still has to have hustle and drive and all that stuff to allow yourself to get in a position i understand but let's not ignore the fact that that privilege that base is going to get you in certain places and let's not also ignore maybe sometimes if you just have any ability to have the money Because, you know, there's that story with the Solomon article, I think in the New Yorker or the Atlantic, where he said he was able to play for free a couple of times to kind of get the interest of certain clubs. I'm sure if you're a NEPA baby and you have the ability, especially if you're a DJ and someone wants to book you for an event, but they don't want to pay or they can't pay, but you can pay for your own flight, accommodation and, you know, spending money, it's going to allow you the ability to maybe get into situation where somebody of your talent level maybe shouldn't be because you have the ability to pay for a flight to go to miami to go to ibiza to go to berlin to go to detroit and go and play in places for free and build up your repertoire that way build up your cv and then eventually become the person you want to become later on down the line now and that's not to say that that excuses you or that make that invalidates you as a person or as an artist or a creative but let's call a fact a fact those things definitely do help For sure they do help. And the fact that some lipper babies can't see that is always puzzling to me. I never understood it because I don't think privilege is bad. Like Anouk, I agree. If you are born into a family with wealth, resources and access, you'd be dumb not to use it. You'd be insanely idiotic not to use it. Use it to your advantage. Add that with some talent, with some hard work. You're off to the races, of course, clearly. But to not acknowledge or not to be aware of your privilege or the advantages you've been given based on the family you're born into forget privileges based on the family you're born into just your lineage alone is illegitimately offensive to all people offensive to the extreme especially when it comes to having time That whole time thing is insane because i work a nine-to-five most of you guys work a nine-to-five some people even if you're working in a construction site you're working a service industry job it's longer than nine-to-five you may be doing eight to ten hours per day And then you're sleeping however many hours. Then you have to go do your regular life. So there is no time. that Your time isn't the same as some other person in terms of being a social media influencer. You may have a couple of hours here and there every day, but you don't have six hours to waste, eight hours to waste, a whole year to waste. You have a set amount of time and that's all you have completely to kind of do the thing you need to do. And everything else is a bonus. So clearly that privilege can help some people get where they want to get to. And some people it may be acts as a hindrance. But... I love that the models themselves in the community are the one that called her out because it needed to come from that place. It definitely needed to come from that place. Anyway, that's been the Agatino Ding Show, episode number 623. Thanks for tuning in. But the been a pleasure to have your company. If you're listening to the audio podcast, you'll hear my tune of the day. And if you're watching via video, you won't hear any tune, it'll just fade to black. And I'll see you guys again very soon. Peace.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm all like 20 years old I done seen a million and too many hoes Uh, I done spend a lot on drugs And I spend a lot on these designer clothes Uh, I can't put my trust in a guy Cause I know that all of these niggas gon' fold. Uh, let nigga know you not that guy I know your nigga come through with a roll Yeah, I'm getting like so much cash I'm getting like so much cash, ain't sold my soul The bitch got so much ass This bitch got so much ass, he drag on the floor I let my chain swing Yeah, my chain swing and it's touching the floor. I'm on a private jet I'm finna touch down in Brazil, the rock of show I private text, friend is a private bitch She wanna do private shit I'm on my private page, I'm counting the racks And I'm getting flyless, bitch Uh, I stay getting paid, I stay in those stores I stay buying all the shit I uh, know I didn't want Who know I don't want no know But I've been a little baller, bitch Uh, i telling the hoes, if I pull them up Then they better drink all this shit Uh, when we in this spot, we catchin' the sticks And we having all the sticks Uh, talking about paper I'm getting all of it, uh, Yeah, I don't got time for a hater I can't even see these nicks, uh the bitch was 2D, I pay for her ass and now that shit 3D, nigga. Uh me and my fuck three time out my glit, I ride around too deep, nigga. Uh but I can't be too deep, nigga. Uh cause I don't even trust these niggas. Uh and I don't even trust these hoes. Uh they just tryna blow my fix. Uh let's take a whole to it, uh let I'll pull the whole plane. Nigga. Uh my niggas so froze up nigga. Uh I look like an alpine yeah, skin. like twenty years old. I done seen a million and too many hoes. Uh I done spend a lot on drugs, and I spend a lot on these designer clothes. Uh I can't put my trust in a guy. Cause I know that all of these niggas gon' fall Uh, let nigga know you not that guy I know your nigga come through with a roll Yeah, I'm getting like so much cash I'm getting like so much cash Ain't hey, so my soul This bitch got so much ass This bitch got so much ass she drag on the floor Out of my chain swing Yeah, my chain swing and it's touching the flow. I'm on the private jet I'm finna touch down in to Brazil The rock out of show I'm in a brand new whip This bitch got suicide dose Go grab the rope I caught a brand new bitch She tryna go back and forth I tell her let's go I rock a brand new chain This shit is a t- in this chain, we don't do the ropes. When I keep brand new stage, my fans they go insane, you already know. Yeah, yo, yeah, in this home, uh, yeah, I'm grabbing her throat. Yeah, I'm staying inside, huh? I'm stuck in the crib, up in my road. Uh I'm still screaming feed my guys, then I set my butt out the road. How these little niggas live in disguise. Yeah.